Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. And in this podcast, we will cover the global and local developments you need to know this week. This week is a fascinating one. We're going to talk about the boom in retail media or retailers becoming media companies. If you haven't noticed, we've got Woolworths, Coles, Walmart, Target, all of them jumping into media and trying to sell advertisers and advertising. It's a booming booming market. Amazon is forecast to go to $15 billion next year in advertising revenues up from $3.3 billion in 17. The retailers are uh, following suit around the world. So with us today is three very interesting people. One is Brad Moran, CEO of Citrus, which has just implemented a big advertising platform for Coles in Australia. We have Pippa Leary, uh, who's a digital supremo from uh, Network 9, and John Bradshaw, who's principal at Brand Traction. So we've got to you first, Brad. Um, there is a lot of activity globally going on uh, in, in retail media. Uh, tell us what is driving the retailer's strategy. Uh, what have they realised? What have what they cottoned on to? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there is. There's a, there's, a, there's a big shift in, um, I guess, the way that retailers look at themselves now, and that's come down to a couple of things, I think. Um, there's a timing piece, and like us as a startup, uh, the majority of your success is driven from your execution but also the timing. So for the past five years, 10 years, you know, retailers have been typically good at gathering data, BI, you know, through their loyalty and analytics. So I think that their knowledge and understanding of their customer data is at a point where they can use it now. I think the channel demand has reached a saturation point where online shopping and e-commerce and retailers' websites are now getting the traffic enough that they're interesting to advertisers. Um, and I think that generally businesses like Woolies, Coles, Walmart have seen digital as a arm of their business that they must power now. And so they've invested a heavily, you know, a lot of money into these areas. And so I think there's your kind of core foundation for how they become media companies. Um, the realization for them though is, is it's not rocket science. There's a, there's a degree of protection. So as print declines from a circular point of view, particularly in FMCG, they need to still grab that million dollars from each of the suppliers that they deal with. And, you know, half a million of it's now no longer available to spend on print. So they've got to reallocate that. So they've got to work out ways to bring that to digital. Um, I think that, you know, they've realized that some of them do monetize their websites pretty well themselves, but it's a manual laborious task. And often you can't have monetization and a personalized experience all at once. And so they've realized that, you know, taking a, a technology approach, say like Citrus, like a platform-based approach, um, you can you can do two key things. You can reach a, a greater number of suppliers. So instead of going out to just the top 20 or 30 big guys, you can now bring all the small guys to the table, which does one or two things. You know, you can then, you know, from a personalization perspective, we can know that, you know, customer X buys local organic shampoo, and then we can pair them up with an ad from, say, someone like Thank You, who are a local organic shampoo company. So, I think that there's there's a kind of multiple fold there for them. The they can add you know a huge degree of more personalization to their to their media, um, and, and secondly, opens up a whole you know pool of money that wasn't able to be tapped into before by selling things manually. What you're saying there is that they've that the retailers have suddenly realised how they can use the data. They've got the scale and they can use the data to monetize it, basically like a like a media company does. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that. Um, everyone's always understood the value of data and, you know, big data has been used over and over again and overused. Um, but at the end of the day now, we're right at the pointy end of, okay, you have the data. 
we are the platform or, you know, there's other platforms out there, but this is the type of technology now where you can use that data to drive revenue to your business, meaningful revenue that also has great outcomes for your customers and also your suppliers. So I also think the suppliers are the huge winners here because of the amount of data and control they now get over their product positioning online. We call it the trifecta, basically. It's good for retailers, it's good for consumers, and it's good for suppliers. So this level of transparency and control you know, suppliers get the reporting that they want, which has often been held from them, not not due to retailers withholding it, it's because it's hard to give them at scale. So I think there's a number of factors here that have encouraged this trend. Okay, you're also uh, the platform that's, that's on the biggest grocery uh, e-commerce site in the world, that's in the UK. What, what are you seeing in terms of interest from both marketers and the agencies on that platform? And do you think it will happen here, say, on the, on the, for what you're doing with Coles? Yeah, look, I think that the, the overseas markets are slightly further advanced than, than Australia is. Um, that's, that's not due to Australia just being behind technologically. I think that's the case of Amazon in, in the UK and US market have driven those ad dollars that you just spoke about. And so there is a, there's an education piece that we've had to go through here to educate people on why they need this, what it is, how it works. Whereas the UK market, you know, that the agencies are all geared up and they know exactly what Citrus does before we even talk to them about it um, because they're used to using places like Amazon and eBay. So when you go and take an Ocado to them, it, it, it's very easy. It's a great, how do I get involved? How much can I spend? What's the inventory that's available to me? Um, and it's almost a slam dunk. It's very, very easy. And in the UK, Group M have been leading that charge, I think. I think they're, they're definitely the most progressive um, agency over there. You know, they're a they're a big backer of this type of technology and they're investing heavily into it. So, you know, when you see retail media dollars, agency dollars shift uh, into this space, you know that there's a there's a big trend coming. Let's get it clear. What is Coles offering in the market? What is this platform? It, the core offering of Citrus is the ability to um, allow a sponsored product auction. So the ability for a brand, e.g. a Unilever or a Procter & Gamble to bid in an auction to have their product uh, appear in positions one through five on the website. So the premium shelf space, basically. So much like everyone understands that the shelf space in the store is valuable, um, online it's just as valuable, probably even more valuable to be in the top row. So we provide a, a you know self-serve platform, much like a Google or a Facebook where advertisers log in, they compete with each other for relevancy and cost, and then we determine who are the most relevant ads and we put them in the top row. Um, and then brands can also buy, you know, banner ads, whether they're full graphic tiles or full width banners. So we provide basically any form of, you know, digital touch point that a, that a supplier can buy on, on a retailer website. And the promise here is that once the, uh, the exposure, the, the impression or the advertising or the product listing, uh, you can follow that through to a transaction. Is that, is that part of the pledge with Coles? Yeah, look, I mean, that, that is the core, apart from the reporting side of things, uh, the key reporting aspect that we offer to a, to a brand is the fact that they can close the loop. So they can, they can track an impression to a click to a purchase, and then they can see basically their exact ROI in real time which is why Amazon has driven the money that they've driven is because they're at the point of purchase. So that they're lower down the funnel than say the Facebooks and the Googles who heavily influence a sale, but they're not right at the point of purchase where the retailers are. Where's the money coming from, Brad, in this, as, as marketers go into these retail platforms? In a more mature market, I think it's about um, half and half. So 50% will come from uh, media agency dollars um, and 50% will come from your you know your traditional trade marketing and shopper, shopper marketing funds. Australia's 
probably a year behind, maybe two years behind where that is. So there's a lot more trade marketing being spent through it at the moment, um, a lot more shopper marketing dollars and probably 10% of agency. Um, but we'll start to see that change over the next 12 months, I think, as, as Amazon comes in um, and as these you know big retailers start to adopt this type of tech. Pippa Leary, how, how do you view this as a media company? For the particular situation that Nine is in, because we have spent the last 12 months building out an addressable marketing solution and we have built our own massive data lake, a massive um, device graph that works off connected TVs, desktops, tablets, all of that sort of, um, all of the different devices, we're in a situation probably unlike most of the media companies in the world in that we can work really well with the Woolies, Coles and Amazons of the world. What's great about what Brad was saying is they understand that they work in the lower funnel. Um, Where it is difficult for us to work with, say, a Google or a Facebook, is that they're telling everyone they're the entire funnel. They're doing the top of the funnel brand building and pushing the whole way down through to purchase. We know that's not right. We know that sitting at the top of the funnel is mass market TV, it's newspapers, it's all that sort of thing. But we've never been, we've never had the technology or a marketing solution to be able to prove that, an attribution modeling system that can prove that. Now that we've got addressability with BVOD, for the first time, we can actually link top of the top of the funnel marketing campaigns right the way through because we, we've got data on people down to the user level. So we actually know person by person by person by person by person who's watching on those TV screens when they're watching it through the app. And if we work with clients like Woolworths, Coles, Amazon, we can actually, and share data, we can actually show how the it goes from brand building the whole way through the funnel down to conversion and purchase. So it truly is closing the loop but instead of just closing at the lower end of the funnel, we can actually hook in the top end of the funnel. We go back to the famous want to make a quote. You know, I know 50% of my, my marketing budget is wasted. I don't know which 50%. We're on the cusp of knowing which 50%. But we are also very careful about advising clients to spend too much at the lower end of the funnel. Um, and we've seen that happen. We've seen the rise of short-termism. We've seen the rise of dashboards where people are saying, oh, I can tell the ROI immediately on on all of this last click attribution. We need to keep reminding clients that somebody has to build the brand message outside of the shop to get people into the shop, whether that be physically or into onto the online store. So that's why we think there's a really um, fertile space for us to work with, you know, companies like Citrus, uh, what Woolies are doing and and Amazon to make sure that we can actually create a unified experience from building the brand down to purchase. Brad, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with the the joining of the data. Um, and I think that, you know, in a collaborative approach with a, with a top-down kind of media company or, you know, media channel like Nine, um, I think that there's, there's a lot of visibility that we can offer to a brand um, as a collective. Um, I, I would disagree with the statement that, shoving too much money down the lower end of the funnel is incorrect. I think that the way it was done five years ago, absolutely, because if you take FMCG, the only way to really fast track your sales in grocery is to lower your prices. Um, and it was a race to the bottom. Um, or, or you'd have to, you know, pump an extraordinary amount of money into into print and, it, you know, the ROI just wasn't there. I think with more sophisticated advertising channels that are 
um, cost per click based and ROIS based. Um, I think that there's, we don't have a problem of, our biggest problem is like they can't spend enough um, because, you know, even as big as Woolworths and Coles are, they don't have the inventory to go through $5 million a month in terms of, you know, sponsored product ad spend. So I think at the end of the day, there's only a certain amount of views that you can have on an e-commerce site. But, you know, we, we can tell you statistically, if you own those top spots, your, your sales will increase, you know, 50 to 100%, um, you know, and your returns are, you know, 600 to percent to a thousand percent you know and i think tv is the nearest kind of benchmark for fmcg and that's about a dollar sixty so yes you know it, it it is hard to brand build at the at the very lower end of the funnel because you've got a very you know finite time to make an impact but i think there's very few industries um and very few brands that have that that waiting uh, you know if you take it like a good statistic would be you know we obviously get all the search data that comes out of these retailers so we know what people are searching for and and, and the statistic which is quite interesting is, is is of the say 500 million searches that we looked at um, of the top 50 search terms in in grocery 45 of them are generic search terms bread eggs cat, you know shampoo conditioner whatever it is so there's there's not a lot of brand loyalty there, which tells you that people aren't searching for a brand name. This is getting interesting, John Bradshaw. Um, perhaps um, the long-term brand building stuff doesn't matter as much in grocery and uh, in, uh, for FMCG. Well, I think it's going to be a that? narrow view of grocery. I think if we're talking about eggs, milk and cheese, yeah, it's proven to be very hard, especially in milk, given the predominance of kind of the milk pricing wars, um, to build brands in that environment. But I'd say there's a huge percentage of that shop that is still kind of brand choice driven. And we've seen from the work out of the IPA in the UK that unless you get the balance right between long-term brand recognition and short-term sales activation, and that includes things like, you know, look at the work coming out of the US on Tide at the moment. You would have thought that was one of those not very interesting, not very brand driven categories, but... Yeah, tied absolutely yes. smashing it with that stuff. So I'm, I'm. By the way, I'm excited about this opportunity for FMCG marketers. I think this is a good thing. But one of the big risks for me is if this is another shiny ball that takes money out of FMCG brand building. Then, then that's a bad thing. That said, if it's moving money out of Facebook and Google, where I think we're seeing less effective sales activation, like sales driving work into an environment where we've got high attribution and high connection between the ad and the sales. I think that's a great opportunity for FMCG marketers to think about moving the right bit of their budget about. But if you, if you go back to a lot of brand theory, one of the things they talk about, the way that you build profitability in your business is by having high levels of brand recognition. That drives profitability. Otherwise, you're getting just commoditized. And so I 100% agree with you, John. Brad, do, do the conversations you're having with the marketers when you talk about your direct conversations uh, with them about this this uh, platform, uh, does this come into does this come into the on the radar at all, or is it it's simply uh, we no, I think it's becoming a more interesting space. I think that. Um I think that marketers in general are still unfamiliar with how to best utilize it. Um, I don't think it's an all or nothing. I don't think it's a, hey, it's this or nothing else. I think this is just a the last piece of the puzzle that perhaps people haven't been able to get their hands on, which is the sales data and and how how do we how do we perform at the lower end of the funnel and what impact does the lower end of the funnel really have on sales? 
Let's go there because you've got some interesting uh, statistics, click-throughs and conversions. Yeah, what so I mean, look, numbers there? From, a, from a product perspective, and bearing in mind we serve anywhere between five and 10 products per page, um, the average click-through rate can be four to 10% on some categories. So if you take, you know, there's five, five products shown on each page, you're talking a 50% click-through. So whatever we show on that page, is a, there's you know one in two chance it's going to get clicked on. And then, you know, groceries operating at a 60 to 70% conversion rate. So statistically... Um, and I know, as Winston Churchill used to say, there's lies, damn lies and statistics. But uh, statistically, you know, online shelf space does have an impact on, on bottom line sales. And we ran some case studies last year in, in, in the liquor industry in particular. And we took, you know, three three vodka companies that were very, very similar, very similar priced product. Um, one was sponsored, one wasn't. You know, there was a 5% market share shift. So... You know, at the end of the day, if you are a Coke customer, you are not going to change to become a Pepsi customer. But if you're an agnostic customer and you don't really care and something's in front of you and something isn't, you know, it, more than likely you're going to click on something that's there. And the interesting thing is we know that most consumers are brand agnostic when it kind of gets to that bit. Yeah, I mean, like when you when you say, you know, milk and, and Coke, you are talking about the like ultimate extremes, you know. So so Coke, Coke has the best brand recognition in the world, you know. Um in terms of an FMCG product. So it's hard to say, hey, you know, it doesn't work for Coke because Coke is Coke. You know, they're, they're all in a league by their own. I think as, as we've seen sort of moving away from media for a second, moving towards more like general trends of well-being, I think that there's been a shift away from the big package consumer goods companies and more towards your local companies who, you know, care about the environment and provide, you know, chemical-free based stuff. Um, so there's a lot of shifts going on and I think there's, a, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for, you know, brand switching. That's because you're talking there about a, a technology platform that's self-service, and and you can you can bid. You don't need the big the big uh, clout of a supplier that's looking for top of the you know uh, eye range on it. On Absolutely, a it's, it's the Facebook Google model, right? It's the making seventy percent of the revenues from the SMBs in the world who've got you know a hundred dollars a day to spend, but they can't spend a hundred grand a month on print or billboards or TV. So. And it's going to be really interesting to see how that kind of, it's a good analogy, the shelf space analogy for this. Certainly with impulsive categories like soft drinks and confectionery, shelf space has been a big driver for both the brand and the retailer. So whether this can buck that, it's going to be really fascinating to see how the data plays out. To wrap this up, I'm very, very quickly, Pippa, I'm interested in how you can see the, the matching of data from the top of the funnel that you talk about and what people are being exposed to in messaging beyond um, what, what's going on on the, on the, on the online site. Um, is, is it actually feasible to, to, to tie those data pipes up right now? I would now? hope that can we would be able that? to do that. Um, it's 100% feasible. I mean, what we do is we do, you know, mass personalization and we do mass targeting um, through Now. Um, because we've got closed-loop reporting, um, if we can see the sales uplift data from either the retailer or from the brand itself, we can then put that against the people, the exact people who saw the ads, and we can see the effect of the ads and how that worked. And so it's easy to understand in terms of click-through at the lower end of the funnel. It's very difficult for brands to understand what their top-of-the-funnel activity is doing to be able to go back to them and say, we're working together to bring you the complete picture of how we move, what we're doing through the funnel and what different points you need to do on the way through the funnel, I think is the holy grail for a lot of brands and a lot of retailers. It's fascinating. John, yeah, I think this is a fascinating development. I think we do need to put it in the context of, you know, uh, online grocery shopping, still only a kind of four or 5% share of shop at the moment. 
but we also know that 31% of Aussies say they're thinking about it and considering it. So it's going to grow. It's going to be a bigger part. Um, so I think that's that's kind of exciting. And this ability for FMCG brands to be able to do actual performance marketing and to be able to do attribution modeling, ideally, that goes all the way through the funnel is an exciting development with my usual caveat of just because it's more measurable doesn't make it the right thing to do all of the time and that marketers need to be striving for balance on these things and not just chasing the shiny ball. But overall, this is a really interesting shiny ball and some investigation of it I think is worth FMCG marketers' time. Brad, final thoughts from you. Uh, your sense of where this sort of traction will get to, where this where this uh, concept will get to in the next six months. Uh, you've got a bunch of conversations going on with the market. How do yeah, you look, feel I, it's going to go? I don't necessarily think this is a shiny ball. I think that retailers monetizing their assets has been done for decades. I think that we're just a slightly different execution of it. Um, and, I, and I think that it's here to stay. I think Amazon's proving that, I think. Woolies, you know, their their investment in cartology. You know, Coles are very much invested in this type of technology and what they're doing. And we've seen, you know, it's not just FMCG. We work with twenty two retailers globally in seven different industries. So you know, fashion's very much following the same trend. Um, electronics are very much following the same trend. Um, I think that this is a real. I think it's a real effective channel. Um, but as you know, everyone on the call is, is, is obviously stating this is not the be-all and end-all. Um, it's not the only channel people should be investing in. I think it's just uh, a really useful channel at the point of purchase, which is going to drive um, you know, more measurement at, at closing that loop. But I think that the, the ultimate use of this type of technology is when it's hooked into greater DMPs or a, you know, a, a nine network uh, channel where we can link a, a Woolworths rewards ID all the way from watching an advert on, you know, nine all the way through to closing a sale. So I think I think that's where it's going to get really exciting for, for the brands. Yeah, and, and, and I think that sets us up for another interesting conversation down the track. So thank you all. Thank you, Brad, Pippa, John. Uh, don't forget to have a look at the full content lineup at mi-3.com.au. There's a whole bunch of content there. We will see you next week. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater... Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button to get a free notification every time we release a new episode.